Praise the Lord Almighty Church, for he has given us his spoken word. And this morning we're going to read from Isaiah chapter 8. We're going to begin on verse 21st, and we're going to go all the way to verse, uh, chapter 9 through verse 7. And you can find this passage on page number 573 in the Pew Bibles. They will pass through the land, greatly distressed and hungry. And when they are hungry, they will be enraged and will speak contemptuously against their king and their God and turn their faces upward. And they will look to the earth, but behold, the stress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness. From this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. ¿Cómo están? ¿Cómo han pasado? Sermón de hoy. Vamos a hacer un español. The fact that you're laughing, it means that you understand. So I should just do it. I should just do it. I should just go for it. I should just go for it. Um, it's really good to be here with you this morning. Um, I want to welcome those that are new to our church community today. Welcome. We're glad that you're here. Also, our friends from Breakthrough, it's really, really refreshing having you guys here and amazing work you guys are doing too in the Garfield Park community. Um, my name is Manfred and I am one of the pastors here at Calvary. And uh, today is our last Sunday of our missions month. And during the past weeks, we have been um, tracing the theme of light 
to the different sections of the biblical narrative and God's promise to bring healing and restoration to all nations in the earth. And this light has shown repeatedly, even in darkest moments and places, the biblical story. And the deeper God's nation and the world sink into deep darkness, and the more broken they become, and the greater the need for hope, the brighter this light has shone. So throughout this dramatic tale of tension and expectation for the awaited light, every time the impossible takes place, every time God's people sin, they go astray, every time they hit a wall, God's people are reminded to wait on him as his covenantal promise of freedom will come, that he's going to bring healing and restoration here on earth as it is in heaven. But to communicate that hope and to point people to that promise of light, the Lord has called throughout history his own broken, imperfect people to serve as a vehicle of his message of love amid the dark realities they will experience. So in the verses we uh, read this morning, we're introduced to one of these partners in the biblical story, the prophet Isaiah. And my prayer this morning is that, that as a church, um, in light of Missions Month, all of us who are here today, we can wrestle with what it means for us here at Calvary to move in our world today by carrying the hope that the light of the gospel has brought first to our lives and into the places where we have been purposely placed or moved from or to. I also, I also want to acknowledge that some of those places where God might be inviting us to go individually as a church, whether it's across the street or to the other side of the world, can look pitch black from afar. And sometimes hope and expectation are not always our first response. That also that I believe that each one of us who are here understand that vision and that calling to go. I think, I mean, if you've been a Christian for a while, you understand that there is a calling to go and, and to be light and to make disciples. But I just want to be honest uh, as much as I can be, that exercising that calling doesn't come easy. And I think we need to embrace that. That going is not easy. That being sent is not easy. Especially when we don't choose the place where we want to go. <laughs> and as we dive into this passage today, I would like to invite you just to, just to pray with me, just to join me in prayer this morning, that the Lord will speak to us uh, today. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, I want to uh, thank you for your presence in this place. Thank you for every man and woman, for every child that is present here with us. Thank you for the blessing and privilege we have to gather under your name and to sing to you and to praise you with freedom. Thank you for that gift. Thank you for the gift of life, family, friendship. Thank you for our jobs and thank you for what you're doing in the world, Lord. I must confess that sometimes it just seems to be getting darker. <laughs> but I hope that today will be filled with your joy and hope and presence for the future. Lord, I ask that um, you would just give me clarity to speak and um, 
that this will be something that we can just, um, just take and reflect over the next week or so. In your name we pray. Amen. So I would like to start by providing some uh, context to, you know, get it better situated in our passage today. And it's going to be beefy, it's going to be long, kind of, but it's more for me than for you. So just, just bear with me, okay? Um, and um, so I'm just going to go, I'm just going to describe a few moments through the Old Testament prior to Isaiah 9, um, just, as I said, just to give us some sort of like context and background. And um, right after the fall, as described in Genesis 3, we observe Adam and Eve um, heading east into exile. And uh, Cain and his family and his whole lineage will do the same after that. And um, then because of the uh, evil state and increasing corruption in the world and humanity, the Lord floods the earth. And with that, he brings a new beginning, uh, recreation, uh, preserving Noah and his family as a remnant. But the moment they leave the ark and they start to head east, um, all the nations of the earth will follow them too, heading east. And this contrast between the west and the east uh, is significant and uh, symbolic in a scripture as it describes God's people moving away from him. So we see the blessings and curses again. Uh, we're still seeing people moving east, further, further away from God's presence and purpose. And as people kept on moving east, away from God, we also see darkness moving and evil starting to regroup and get organized. So this evil, uh, dark movement uh, began with a person, a family, a lineage, and it became an entire civilization when it finally arrived at Babel's Tower. There, God confused them and scattered them, and now humanity is wandering and is spreading as if God doesn't want them want him to settle in a fixed state. At least, not yet. Not until they learn to trust him will they come back home and rest. So God's, God wants people to trust him, to experience his shalom, and to join him on his mission for the world instead of pursuing themselves. But as we continue moving through the biblical story, the lack of trust and faith seen in destruction will be a constant. And this is the story of humanity. It's a story of love, presence, relationship, but it's also a story of brokenness and destruction and isolation and despair carried by sin and death. And that is where humanity seems to be moving towards to. In his story, the Lord wants humanity to embrace their limitations and brokenness instead of always entirely relying upon themselves to master their selfish desires and build their own kingdoms. So the tension that we find in the biblical story is that of a man not fully capable of exercising to the fullness their creative gifts, authority, and the power to care for themselves and the world the Lord gave them to rule and have dominion over it. Over and over, the story shows that when men operate alienated from God, they are incapable of harnessing their desires, and they would not know when to stop destroying and spreading the curse. Therefore, the scattering and the exile in the wilderness might be a graceful place to be because... That's a place where they might learn to trust God, receive his love, and partner with him, a place where they will long to return home and to be fully restored. Exile and isolation from God's light and presence was never the plan. Actually, God's plan was for men and women to rule the world alongside him and his kingdom. 
So in this uh, tale of uh, creation, fall, restoration, and consummation, God has been looking for partners since the beginning to bring people back to him, simple people like you and like me. And this morning, we're introduced to one of these partners. So in the context of Isaiah 9, we find Israel in apostasy and open rebellion against God. The kingdom is divided, and there is an imminent threat from the north crawling ready to flood and asphyxiate any hope left for the nation again, causing panic and despair. Isaiah tells King Ahaz, one of the kings at the time, to trust the Lord, to stand still, and to see the light, the salvation that will come from the Lord, rather than trusting his own abilities in politics. So when we got when we get to this point, things haven't got better for God's people. They're still struggling with trust and purpose. And the Lord is hiding his face as opposed to blessing and shining his face upon them. And yet Isaiah, in contrast with King Ahaz's response, speaks a word of hope that the Lord's face will shine again. So Isaiah speaks of restoration coming out of God's judgment. Hope not only for Israel, but all the nations of the earth. Because in the end... That's why he chose Israel and blessed them so that they could be a blessing to all nations, but they got full of themselves. He speaks of a king in his upcoming kingdom where all nations will come and bow down to the king, trusting and surrendering their lives. They will come from all corners of the world and feast at a banquet prepared by the Lord himself where he will remove the shroud of death from the faces of all peoples. Isaiah's message in this passage can summarize like this. Can be summarized like this, excuse me. It will get dark pretty soon. Things are going to get more complex, and for obvious reasons. You're going to feel hopeless, but you don't have to worry. A light will be born out of that darkness. God is going to restore all things for his name's sake and for his love for you. So this morning I would like to just make a few observations that I think will help us to navigate our calling as a church here at Calvary, to go and to be light in the places we're meant to be, where God is taking us, where God is leading us, where the Lord has each one of us rooted right now. And the first observation I want to make is that our calling to go begins with the source of the light we had experienced first. Our calling to go begins with the source of light we had experienced first. So I say that's something that the prophets have done in the biblical story. He considers and reflects on God's act in the nation's history, on the past, to interpret his present and receive hope for the future. So he's recalling his own experience with the light. So in chapter 6, 1, if you can just go back a few pages, chapter 6, verse 1. I can read it to you. It says that Isaiah saw the Lord sitting upon his throne, high and lifted up. And what a moment he encountered and recalls. Confronted by the radiance of his dramatic experience, he couldn't help to see but his brokenness, his sin, his own need in contrast with the Lord's greatness and love and response. When he thought that that moment was his end, Instead of intimate destruction, he received forgiveness and a touch of God's sovereign grace. He experiences restoration. He is repurposed and his life is redirected. He saw and experienced the light of the Lord who fills all the earth. He was not consumed. 
So his response to this experience does not come by justifying or excusing himself or speaking how great he is and the many gifts that he probably had because he was one of the greatest prophets in the Old Testament. But he actually is humble by the experience. He acknowledges all that he is and is not by embracing his own sin, need, and brokenness and limitations. That's how he responded before the Lord. He says in verse five, 5, I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of, unclean, of people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. He received and experienced the opposite of what he thought he deserved. He saw and confessed his brokenness and need and received instead God's merciful love, not God's wrath. In connection with the verse we're reflecting on this morning, I want to argue that Isaiah can predict and see a bright future for God's people and the nations based on this experience he had with the radiant light of the presence of the Lord. And now he's convinced to speak with such a confidence amid such a threats and imminent darkness, knowing that God, the God he experienced in chapter 6, and the hope he received is brighter than the gloom and the destructive flood approaching. He got perspective to see beyond what was evident. So his future eternal vision is expressed in chapter 9 as found in the source of light and is described as something that has already taken place because it's already done. That same hope he received and experienced infused his life to respond, here I am, send me. I want to go. You can send me to the world because the outcome has been guaranteed. I don't have to worry about that. But also, to be fair, the message that he was entrusted with and all the people and circumstances where he was sent were not easy. And the news he carried wasn't hopeful from a human perspective. His message was something like this. Hey, friends, it's going to get pretty nasty and dark before it gets better, but a light is going to shine out of the darkness. And I think it could have been a challenge for those hearing these words of hope and light amid the dark realities that we're experiencing. The hope he was given to communicate is described as a storm that remains when an oak tree has fallen, like a mustard seed in the kingdom of God. His listeners were challenged to believe that such a storm can be a tree one day. God's people were challenged to have an eternal view of what it will be to be provided with such a hope. And that view can only be received by looking up to the one sitting on the throne. So it has been a matter of faith and perspective in seeing and responding to circumstances and people in the world. This biblical view of hope creates tension between what we experience and see in the moment in front of us, whether it's a family member, a friend, a co-worker, a city, a community, and what those will be in the future. Do you have that kind of vision to see past what is evident? Isaiah was called in faith to believe that in the coming and imminent judgment, the Lord was sovereign and powerful enough to save and sustain his people using a fragile and still green seed of hope that one day will grow to be a tree again. And that small seed is the one that will hold the entire universe. In a scripture, hope is described as this feeling of anticipation, a conviction that the darkness and gloom and anguish of present circumstances won't overcome it. It is a state of waiting, expectation for the light of this hope to take place and to be established. 
That is the message of hope that our missionaries here at Calvary, our partners here today, carry into the places they have been sent to go. They carry a promise, a seed they plant, believing that the tiny seed will flourish and give birth to communities, families, individuals, being transformed and renewed, healed and restored, reconciled and repurposed. That is also a message that all of us believers here this morning have been entrusted to carry today to the world. But it starts with a simple and yet challenging response. Here we are. Send us. Isaiah's hope was not centered on the circumstances in front of him. It was rooted in the source of light that infused him to respond. He saw what was coming and yet decided to trust and hope in the Lord because he was, is, and will be the only response to save, restore, and heal all the nations in the world. Isaiah's calling was to receive, abide, to trust, and to go. As a prophet of God, he looked at the past and history to interpret his present and receive hope for the future, not despair. He looked at the source of light acting and moving in the affairs of the world, and what he saw coming was good, was very good. He looked back and remembered that the Lord saved and redeemed his people in the past, out of Egypt, and guided them through the desert with signs and wonders until they reached the land he promised to give them. There were no powers, no rulers, no kings, no kingdoms that could withstand the radiance and the presence of the light. So God's love and faithfulness propel Isaiah and us to have hope for the future for us and those around us and the nations. Do not give into despair. When we go, his light will be manifested in the darkest places and circumstances, bringing people from the west to the east from the east to the west, from darkness to light, from brokenness to restoration, from death to life, from anguish to hope, from trauma to healing, from addiction to connection, from slavery to freedom. That is the power of the gospel. So the calling we have received to be light to the peoples of the earth begins first and foremost with the source, the person of God, and our understanding and experience about who he truly is and how he has revealed himself to us in the scripture and his fulfillment in Christ Jesus. If our vision and our understanding of God is merely that of an angry God who is ready to consume us and to destroy us, then the way that we live and proclaim his message, the way that we look and interpret our present, will be portrayed, live out, and framed in that way, and the future won't look hopeful for us and for whoever we're called to love and serve. A God sitting on the throne, high and lifted up, is ready to recognize, is ready when we recognize our limitations and brokenness to extend his love and forgiveness and offer hope, reconciliation, and restoration to us and to the world. He is a God of mercy and judgment. But he's the one who exercises the judgment. That is not our place because his judgment is not meant to destroy but to reveal and to heal which is a vivid and present theme in the scripture. He is indeed merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in his steadfast love and faithfulness. Is this the God you know and experience, who gives you the hope to believe and proclaim that light in the world, in the midst of darkness? Our response to his calling to be light to the world has to do with the way we receive his love and experiencing him in our lives. We all believers here this morning will express and mirror what we have experienced from God. 
So C.S. Lewis expands this idea by saying that we, you and I, will carry out God's purpose however we act, but it makes a big difference to us whether we serve like Judas or like John. So the way that you and I respond to God's calling is a reflection of what we believe and how we feel about God's love for us. Is what we receive from him to our own benefit? Or is it a lifelong relationship that believes, receives, and hopes that the Lord of the universe loves us and can sustain us even in dark places where we are or where he's sending us to be his light? We need to have a refreshed sense of faith and passion for the broken and the afflicted unleashing us. Even when there seems to be no evidence that something is going to change for us, our families, our friends, our co-workers, our communities, or the world. We need to have the right amount of faith funded in the light, even if it comes as a tiny seed or as a spark, because God can work with that. So when faith and hope tremble in our lives from the overwhelming realities we experience in the places we're sent, we are invited to contemplate the past, to witness God's work, love, and faithfulness in our own lives, in our own stories, so that we can interpret our present and receive hope for the future. We must trust God's story in the scripture, in the scripture that darkness will not have the final word. So we can only speak of giving hope and light to the world because we have received it and experienced that hope first. But we also need to be careful not to undermine or underestimate the conversion experience we had with the Lord. We tend to associate people of God doing extraordinary things with supernatural encounters like the one Isaiah had. Still, the reality is that all of us here, whether our conversion experience had lies and thunders or smoke, or it was literally a dead-to-life situation, the reality is that we all who are in Christ Jesus experience the same calling from darkness to light and receive God's love and promise of restoration and purpose. The circumstances of our conversion are, are meaningful, not because the circumstances per se, it's because the one we encounter in those circumstances and the love we receive in response. So when we find opportunities to give reason for the hope we have in Christ, we are to bring the hope the light of the gospel has in connection with our own story so that people know that we have a message of hope because we have experienced it and receive it first. We are a living testimony. We are the light of the world because we have experienced the light. We are the better track to be given. Our lives are a testimony to the world, the hope we have received, and that, and that is the hope we have been called to embody in our world today. Our response to go and to be sent to the world and to be light in response to God's calling must be primarily founded in the, and infused by God, by knowing God, but also the love we have received in Christ and the power of the Spirit. Any other motivation to go Divorce from the source will flake and fail over time. It's not going to sustain us. And the second observation that I want to make is that our vision for the world and the future has to be seen through the hope of light. So in chapters now, uh, 9, verses 1 to 3, Isaiah describes a hopeful vision of the future of the nations in the world. He sees the reverse of the course coming in the form of light. He brings words of encouragement and consolation. 
So in the transition from the last verses in chapter 8 to the first verses of chapter 9, the prophet brings together with confidence that that reality the nation will see and experience by creating a contrast between the long, dark course of exile and the imminent presence of the light that will bring restoration. By confronting darkness with light, the prophet communicates to his audience something like, this is what God is going to do about the darkness. This is how things will be finally be restored. You just have to wait a little longer. So he doesn't dismiss the darkness and what they will experience. He actually names it. But while they walk in and through it, he invites his readers to see the light through the eyes of faith and to be sustained by hope. The Lord will rearrange and redeem the storyline, reversing the curse of sin, where death, judgment, despair will be no more, period. He's going to restore the world and humanity. This is the hope and anticipation Isaiah wants his readers to experience and keep in front of them and us, that the light will come and shine in their darkness. So as the Lord enacts salvation, the world will be humble and order in the process. And the prophet described and introduced that moment of reverse course on humanity by a simple conjunction. But, however, and, and this did it for me, to be honest. Just that word did it for me. Look at what verse, says, one says, verse 1 says. But, the Lord, but there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan. And I think... Ah, this is just me. <laughs> I think God loves conjunctions and grammar for his inspired and chosen scripture writers and for us as readers too because it communicates something profound about how he always enters and intervenes in the world in ways, in places, in unexpected moments. That is the beauty of the upside-down kingdom of God. He comes in unexpected ways, in unexpected places, and through unexpected people. One word, just one word, portrays and redefines and changes trajectory on the narrative of humanity entirely in the text. Do you know of another conjunction uh, where conjunctions are used in connection with God's creative and restorative power? Where God intervenes dramatically in the affairs of the world, where the current circumstances describe absolute chaos and despair, and where the Lord enters in the affairs of the world and humanity and changes everything. Let me read to you Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void. And darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from darkness. Now back in Isaiah 9, because there was this darkness and gloom, the Lord says, I will fulfill my covenantal promise and send my light and undo the curse that sin and death brought to everything that I created good. My spirit has never stopped and will stop hovering over the face of the earth until all the earth is filled with my glory and my presence. I will continue restoring, healing, and creating life even better. I will come and be among my own people. I will be their light. This word introduces the coming of a new beginning, a new hope, 
a moment of recreation and brightness. And this statement should inform us that even in the darkest and most evil places in the world right now, the light of the gospel can penetrate and break the thickness of sin, darkness, and brokenness. It has the power to eradicate and unroot the course of death from spreading because that light is a person and his name is Jesus. That is the truth and that is also reality. As believers, as we go to the world, we're called to believe and interpret the story and circumstances around us through the eyes of faith and the hope we have received. And specifically, into the realities of those who haven't been touched by the light. In the same way that the light was embodied by God, Emmanuel, in the world, we're called to do the same. The verses 2 and 3 describe this light as visible, recognized, localized, and experiential reality. So here I say, I speak of the birth of a new dawn, a new community, the community of light born out of darkness, and that's us, that's you and me. We are the place where this light has shone, and we are to be recognized by that light in the world. Because Isaiah's vision is built around the light, his perception and experience, the future of the people, everything he sees is impacted by that light to the point that he witnessed joy where there is despair, peace where there is war, restoration when there has been destruction. Let me ask you this. How has the light of the gospel changed the way you see the world and the people around you? What do you see in your co-workers, your spouse, your children, your neighbors, communities? What do you see for them? Isaiah sees hope for his people and the nations. The curse being undone and the world being restored in a common and yet fulfilled future. He sees past what's evident. Coming out of darkness, I see also sees a ki- also sees a king and a kingdom. He sees the promise in the form of a child that will grow, grow to be the awaited and rightful heir, and with him a kingdom that will populate every corner of the world, overthrowing every early king and kingdom of darkness forever. And at the same time, the curse of sin and death that headed east from Eden will be undone. And those that wander in darkness will return home from the east to illuminate the earth. And the, king of king, and the king of peace and his people will rule with justice and righteousness, filling the earth with the joy and the glory of the Lord. The promised light was fulfilling Christ Jesus. He embodied the light and went to the east, to the valley of shadow and death, to shine the light into what was known as a dark place to lead people back to God and to set the captives free. Jesus in Luke 4, 18, quoting from Isaiah 61, declares God's vision and mission for the world. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. By this declaration, he's saying that he's the light. The light that Isaiah promised will shine in the darkness and that he is the consolation the world needs. He is the conjunction in the story of the world. He is the one who makes all things new. And because we have experienced this light, all of us here at Calvary, 
who are in Christ Jesus and because of our union with him, we're called to exercise that light in the world. We are pledged to the same mission, to love and bless all the nations of the earth, to love God and our neighbor and to make disciples to all nations. The gift salvation brings about in our lives is just more than being healed and restored so that we can make it into the new creation. We are saved and we experience healing and restoration so that we can become the men and women God is calling us to be so that we can rule with him in his kingdom here on earth because the kingdom is here and now. But before we consider our participation, before we even consider going, we need to go back to the source of light to receive our rekindled passion for the lost, for the broken, for the poor, for the widow, for the orphan, the exile, and the sojourner. And just let me warn you, if you really want the Lord to give you a refreshed sense of passion for him and the lost, he's going to do it. But your priorities are also going to be rekindled. Before going or sending, whether it's across the street or to the other side of the world, we have to have a vision that is rooted in love to see parts was evident, to love across difference and see the world and the people around us with dignity, not with labels, not as a number of conversions, but as image bearers that God so deeply loves and longs to restore. How are you loving those who are walking in darkness? Those who are in exile, those who are broken. In what ways are you loving the afflicted and the brokenhearted? The cross in the spirit. How do you love the poor and the stranger? In the same way our missionaries and partners here this morning are trusting God's story, we are also called to embody the light and trust the story. That means that we have to be present. We can live our calling through others. So this mission for evangelism, as understood in the past, is not necessarily going to the darkest places, but it's instead going to those places knowing that God is walking there with us and that his love, power, grace, and mercy will bring healing and restoration beyond our own abilities and capacities. We have been called just to be the catalyst through which his love is demonstrated. Finally, before we can consider praying, here I am, send me. We must be confronted with our brokenness and limitations and more the darkness and the pain our communities and the world are currently experiencing. Let's pray. We at times um, are scattered, distracted, and focused, and doubtful. We pray that you will give us a refreshed passion for the broken, the afflicted, the needy, and those wandering in the darkness of exile. We pray for our passion to be rekindled and sustained by the love you have given us. Lord, give us an undivided, compassionate, and hopeful heart to see past what is evident so that we can love and engage with those you have loved first.
We ask that you help us here at Calvary to have a united heart that widens for others, that makes rooms for others in the world and our surrounding communities as we seek to know and make Christ's love known here in Oak Park and around the world. Father, we surrender our lives to you. Give us faith and conviction this morning to say, here we are. Send us. It is in your name that we pray. Amen.